Hi, and welcome back to Map the Maze. Today, we're talking about the different stages of divorce that you may be experiencing, uh, divorce or separation. But previously, I talked about a model prepared by Bohannon. Today, I want to share with you a model set up by Kessler. Before I start, I wanted to just briefly explain why I think this is helpful for people. Um, it obviously depends on the type of person you are, but from my perspective, it's helpful to have a sense of where you're headed, where you may have come from. But there are three key reasons why I think it's really helpful to consider what stage of the divorce might I be in. The first one is sometimes when I'm working with people, they can feel really isolated, that it can seem as if the problems they're facing are overwhelming, that the problems they're facing are really unique, and that I think it enhances a sense of this is impossible for me to solve, this is impossible for me to fix. I think that feeling of being alone can really disempower people. And I think the reality is you're not the only person who's ever experienced this. You're not the only person who's ever had to try and find answers. And you won't be the only person who manages to find the answers. I think understanding that this is not a one-off in terms of human experience, but that other people have managed to find the resources within themselves to get this to find answers to their questions, I think is really helpful for people to understand. The other, the other reason why I think it is helpful is that whatever you are feeling, whatever you are experiencing right now is not forever. That yes, it can be devastating, it can be upsetting, it can be frustrating, it can be emotionally exhausting, but it's not forever. It's not the rest of your life. And I think it's really difficult when we're in the middle of experiencing a very strong emotion to remember that feelings pass, that what we're feeling is a part of the context that we're experiencing, and that at some stage, this will be behind you. So Robert Emery talks about how one day your divorce and separation will be in the rearview mirror, that you'll be able to look back and see that it's on the road behind you. It's not your present and it's definitely not your future. And I think that can also help just to understand no matter what it feels like or how encompassing it is, how overwhelming it is at the moment, this is not what every day in the rest of your life will look like. That at some stage you will be divorced, at some stage you will be separated, at some stage there will be arrangements in place for your finances, for your children, whether that's arrangements you've managed to agree through mediation with the other person or whether it's arrangements a judge has put in place. I think that 
sense that it will end can help. And the third one I've sort of alluded to, but I think is really helpful. Lots of people have managed to find answers to questions, not exactly the same as your question, because every family is different, but to a whole range of questions that are similar, very like your question, um, and they've had lots of resources, no resources. Um, I think it just helps to know that people can do it. I remember when I was living in California for a year and had to take a driving test again, which I hadn't done for about 20 odd years. And I remember thinking, okay, I think I can do this, that every day in California, 16 year olds are taking and passing this test. So if they can do it, then I think I can do it. I think it does give people a sense of hope to know that other people have been able to figure this out. And I think it's worth holding on to that, that it can be sometimes the only reason to stay positive. You know what? We're not the only people who have gone through separation and divorce. Other people have walked these paths before us and they've managed to find a way through. So if they can do it, we can do it. Okay, so let's have a look at Kessler's model. And let me just talk a little bit about how I see that working with the people that I work with in mediation. So the first stage of his model is disillusionment. This is where there's a dawning awareness that the expectations for the relationship are not matching up with the reality. It's very unusual that I would see anybody at this stage, that this is the stage where maybe um, arguments start, conflict starts arising, but not to the level of we need to end the relationship. It might be the stage at which people start looking for a counsellor to maybe do some therapy as a couple, or they may even be looking for individual counselling. But it's very, I can't think of any case I've seen where people came in at this early stage. The second stage he talks about is erosion, where if the discontent that's arisen in the disillusionment stage is not resolved, it can then manifest into overt, covert, verbal and nonverbal behaviour. So he says this is when criticism, sarcasm increase, there can be withdrawal, this is when people have affairs. And this can be a really prolonged period. Generally, again, I don't see people during this period that disillusionment and erosion are things which are still happening within the context of the marriage. I think I hear a lot about the erosion stage when I meet people in their individual intake for the first time, uh, that often this is extremely upsetting. It's been going on for a long time. Everyone feels upset about what's happened. The third stage he talks about is detachment. And this is where he says there's a demise of what he calls emotional commitment to the marriage, that there's an increase in boredom. But what he says, I think, is also true is that often people don't reach this stage concurrently. I guess what I would say is I think of, I think people don't reach any of these stages concurrently often. That often when I meet people, they are in very different stages of their separation. And it's important to understand that from their perspective, but also to reflect, I think, back to them that that is a challenge that they may be experiencing and that what that can mean for the mediation 
is that it impacts how they negotiate. And what I mean by that is for the person who has decided that they're detached, that they're ready to leave, that they need the marriage to be over, and often they're the ones who have instigated, they've, they're the first one to say, we need to separate, they can feel as if everything in the mediation is happening very slowly. They're often, um, they find it kind of glacial, the pace at which we go. Why are we still talking about this? Why do we have to explore all the information? Why do we have to talk about all the options? It's so simple. Here's the solution. Conversely, the other person who maybe isn't the person that instigated often may have been aware of the disillusionment, may have felt it themselves, may have been aware of the erosion, again, may have felt it themselves, but they're still thinking that this is a relationship that both parties are working on. And often for them, what I see is that the mediation can feel like it's too fast. We're moving too quickly. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We need to wait. And it can be very difficult for both of those parties to coexist within the same negotiation, just as it was in the same relationship. And so one of the challenges is to keep the mediation moving forward, to maintain momentum moving forward, which is the kind of basic principle of mediation, that it's about future focus without losing either party. So without making it so slow that the person who is further along and is ready to leave doesn't feel like it's too slow for them to cope with and it's not too fast for the person who is coming to terms, still coming to terms with the fact of the separation. So that can have an impact in negotiation. So sometimes people who are further ahead um, can seem quite cold to the other person as if everything is now um, a calculation, a logical business decision, and the other person can seem very emotional to that person. So it's interesting, but detachment again, I generally don't see people at this stage. So he then talks about stage four, which he describes as the physical separation, where he says that it's no longer tolerable to live together and that moving out, he says, is the most traumatic stage in the emotional divorce. I think it depends. I mean, sometimes when I'm working with people, they have had a physical separation. One person has moved out. Sometimes that's agreed. Sometimes one person's made a decision to leave. Often, though, I'm working with people where they're still under the same roof, but they're trying to figure out what does the next stage look like? What is the next step for their life look like? How do they physically separate? And that can be a difficult discussion, made more difficult if there are children as well, because then we're not just talking about financial concerns, but also how will people maintain relationships with the children? How do both parents minimize the negative impact on children? So that can be a really difficult conversation. Next stage is mourning. So this is when the divorcing person experiences the sense of loss. It could be displayed as anger, depression. Um, there may be periodic communication to maybe reactivate um, but also those communications reactivate the sense of loss. So the contact, the sporadic contact that people sometimes have when they separate can heighten that sense of loss. And definitely this is a period, this is a stage that I work with people in, that 
most of the people I'm working with are in this stage of mourning. And there's a lot of comparison out there to the loss of the relationship in terms of grieving. Um, there's a lot of analysis around Kubler-Ross, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grieving, although I would say you need, just need to bear in mind those were prepared to consider the loss through death of somebody. And the challenge for, I think, a lot of the people who are divorcing is that the person they're divorcing isn't dead. They haven't left or passed on. They are running around. They are still co-parenting. They may have a new partner. Nothing in that respect has changed. So I think that's one of the challenges of using that model specifically to look at the experience of grieving that people who separate and divorce go through. The sixth stage he calls second adolescence. So he says this is a time of rejuvenation in which the divorced person begins to feel free of pain and conflict, and it's a period of a readjustment. So the diverse, divorced person needs to reevaluate their needs and interests. And I think it's interesting that he refers to it as adolescence, which is typically a time of sort of growth, so a positive. But I think that's what this is, that if there can be a move past pain and conflict, so perhaps the um, arrangements have been put in place, the court action is over, now regardless of whether people are happy or not about outcomes, there are outcomes. Everybody at least knows where they stand. And now people can actually try and evaluate what is it I want to do? And I think one of the interesting questions that I want to spend a couple of podcasts talking about is how do people move on from getting divorced? How do people reevaluate that sense of purpose and, and figure out what they want to do with the rest of their lives? I have to say there are some clients I work with who feel, even if it's not them who has initiated the divorce, and often it's not, but who see the divorce and the separation as, as an opportunity to reset their lives, to re-identify some goals, or maybe to reconnect with goals they had when they were younger, before the relationship started, or maybe even during the relationship, but to find a way to reconnect with what they actually want to do for the rest of their lives. And it can be really um, exciting to watch somebody reconnect with those values and hopes that they had and find a way to either go back to school, um, to retrain, or to find a, a sort of a, an adjacent way of recapturing those early dreams and to feel that this is them being able to express themselves in a way which if the relationship had endured, they wouldn't have had this opportunity. So it is a way of trying to, I think, reclaim your life. Um, and definitely I f it can be really rewarding to work with those people because they are very motivated. Um, so it can be an opportunity, the second adolescence. And then he says the last part is what he calls the hard work stage. You would kind of feel that some of the earlier stages are pretty hard work as well, I have to say. But he calls this hard work. And this is where each party completes the arduous task, as he puts it, of integrating the experience of the divorce and expressing that as part of their new identity. So definitely there are clients I can think of 
who I've worked with who have tried to find ways to to move through those stages quickly and to do that hard work to figure out who am I now that I'm not part of this relationship what does the rest of my life look like what is the plan for me that I have for myself to to move forward with my life and there are other clients who I work with who definitely I'm hoping they get to do stage seven and do the hard work, but who are very stuck in, I would say, stage five, the mourning stage, that the loss of the relationship is so overwhelming to their sense of self and identity that they find it very difficult to reconcile that, to find a way to integrate that experience of the separation and the divorce into their lives in a way that is positive, in a way that isn't a continuing gaping wound. Um, If I was a counsellor, I would obviously have some wise words to share with you here, but I'm just a mediator. I guess I would say that from my perspective, one of the things I always say to clients who are struggling to move through these different stages is please make sure that you have emotional support. And often that means needing to go and speak to a professional, that family and friends love you and they want the best for you, but they may not always be best equipped to provide you with how to move forward or to support you through that. And definitely, I think working with a professional, a counselor, a therapist, a psychologist, somebody who can help you to put what's happened into context but also provide you with real tools and skills. And definitely um, when I speak to clients, some of them have really appreciated the skills that their counselors and therapists have given them to be able to navigate some of these stages. So if you are stuck in one of those stages, first of all, no, it's not forever. You will get through If you're stuck and you think the next stage sounds worse than the stage I'm at, could well be. But at the end, stage seven, is where you can integrate what's happened. Accept it. not saying agree with what's happened, but accept that it's happened. And find a way to focus on your identity and your healing. So as a mediator, I think one of our big jobs is to work on pain reduction. So reducing pain for the parties that we work with, helping parties find healthier ways to express conflict. And definitely this stage model, I think is a helpful lens to look at some of the behaviors you may be experiencing. The other thing I would say is that if you are getting separated or divorced, It's also a helpful lens, A, to understand where you are, but to have a think about where your former partner might be, that you might be seeing some behaviors. And often people say to me, this isn't the person I married. This isn't the person I have spent the last five years with. I don't recognize them. It can be helpful to to use this as a lens for trying to understand where they may be in the model in terms of their perspective on where they are in divorce and separation. And sometimes it doesn't make it easier to accept um, sarcastic emails or texts or um, unpleasant phone calls, 
but it can make it easier to have to sit across the table in mediation if you think, okay, this could be part of why they're behaving like this because they are in stage five, for example, um, and they may be still overwhelmed with the sense of loss that they're experiencing. So it may not actually be about anything I could have done today. It may just be about where they are in the separation model. Okay, well, have a good week. Take care, and I'll speak to you next week. Welcome to Map the Maze. I wanted to share the ideas and thoughts in the podcast that you're about to listen to with a wider audience. But please know that nothing in this podcast is intended to be legal, financial, or mental health advice. It is really important that you seek independent professional advice to help you with your situation and your circumstances. Knowledge is power. So let's get to it.